can you imagine what must have been going through the head of the like the person that discovered popcorn you know they're just like what am i gonna do with all these little kind of hard marble looking things that came off my corn stalk you know what i'm saying and then it probably just fell out of his hand slipped through his fingers fell on a hot like a hot skillet you know or a cast iron pan just bounced around this all, all of a sudden poof what the fuck is this what the hell kind of witchcraft voodoo fucking sorcery is this shit well get a picture of me with it yeah might as well eat it it's the simple things you know it's the simple things that we just kind of overlook take for granted you know like popcorn like jiffy pop remember jiffy pop what the fuck was going on with that like I know, let's fucking bury this. Let's just bury these rock-hard little seeds in this aluminum foil. And then we'll just freak people out. You know? We'll, we'll make a mini volcano out of it, right? That's the only, it, could be, it should be the only way to ingest popcorn. Like, what were they... When you first saw popcorn, were you just like, what kind of fucking little weird styrofoam cloud is this that I have to eat, right? kind of odd so concludes my thoughts on popcorn thank you but <laughs> don't come to me with any popcorn information don't come to me with any seeking any information on popcorn i'm not an authority on popcorn right i'm just trying to make it through the day man i'm just trying to, i'm just trying to survive you know so <clears throat> i overheard a conversation that uh, in an interview that Dan Bilzerian is <clears throat> entertaining the idea of trying to return to a baseline dopamine situation. So, and if you don't know who Dan, Dan Bil Bilzerian is, he's kind of like this weird alpha male playboy that has some kind of like strange futuristic mansion like on the outskirts of vegas or something you know and he's just yoked out he's kind of roy i think he's roided out and then uh but he's got this futuristic looking house lifestyle you know he's got jet skis in his pool and there's half naked women uh, just kind of scattered liberally around the house <clears throat> and uh he's just in a he's kind of like Mm, not an not an adrenaline junkie, so just so so much as he is like a. Uh, I don't know. He's he's just Dan Bilzerian. He, I. Well, according to folklore, his money was made in cards. He made uh, millions of dollars in playing cards, which is not out of the question. You know, David Cho did that um, before he even got his money from Facebook or his art um supposedly supposedly <clears throat> but um you know David Cho probably suffers from this too you know these you get you get to a point in, a strange point maybe in in a successful life where it's just like how do I one up myself but with Dan Bilzerian He's like always like if you look at his he, I think he was the most 
uh, followed guy on the internet for a short time via Instagram or something. And he's always like, he's got this huge beard. He's kind of, <clears throat> again, he's kind of like yoked out. He's got guns, lots of guns. There's guns everywhere. He started a weed company a few years back and he just kind of, again, it's not like an adrenaline junkie situation that I'm aware of. You know, he's not constantly like jumping out of planes, but he's like, you know, he's got like dirt bikes and boats and he's just kind of a playboy. He's in essence a playboy, but he's kind of like a real, he's like if, 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 um, if James Bond were like a, uh, like a Navy SEAL, right? <clears throat> to like the most like absurdist version, right? That where there's literally like, like naked, half naked, topless women just kind of strewn about the, the domicile, you know, and he's just kind of doing his thing, posing for action pics and uh, hanging out in the hot tub and, Oh, you know, it's just, again, it's constant, just constant, 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 just dude's roided up. He's probably Viagra'd up, you know, performing for the ladies, firing off a few rounds here and there, going out, doing a little archery, going out playing cards. But it's like, but he uh, literally like, um, and I don't know if it was, if this was kind of a uh, put together or, <clears throat> or what, but. Uh, I'd heard that <clears throat> in this interview conversation that he had proposed the idea of getting a job at, Am at like an Amazon distribution center for like six months to repair his fading dopaminergic exploits. <laughs> like, fuck, bro. Like, you just fucking ruined yourself, right? Like, everything is over the top. Uh, 10 time 10x above uh, baseline dopamine right like we all got that baseline you know like <clears throat> we all got that kind of craving for dopamine unless you're a cokehead and then you definitely facilitate that dopaminergic uh, craving uh, and then you have a and then I guess you have a hard time just kind of like Relating to the mun, mundaneness of life, right? At that point. So there's like a weird kind of a, maybe a happy medium, right? As opposed to say like the guy that kind of gets up every morning. Maybe he's got like a long commute into the Bay Area or downtown, you know, going into like, excuse me, a big urban center. But he lives in like a, like a bedroom community, kind of a sleepy little bedroom community like you followed the you follow like the patented textbook blueprint dream you know you it's basically like birth school work death but within each of those four kind of big pillars would be like school schooling you know um so you go through your depending on depending on the like the the big picture that you're working with right like if you're a middle class kid suburbanite kid kind of middle america middle class you know you've you've kind of been kind of been sold this <clears throat> package where you 
you know, you get through high school without causing any trouble. You maybe join a few clubs, participate in a sport. Then you do well enough to get uh, interested in, or a college that, uh, to take an interest in you. Then you go to that college. Then you kind of skirt the edge of what you think is, mm, you know, you're testing the limits, testing the boundaries of your, of, of, you know, you have, a, you know, you go to a few parties, you hang out, you, maybe you're a wallflower at some of them. You just kind of, you know, you're the back of your head. You're just leaning against the wall while everyone else is acting like maniacs and you're just going, they don't even know. They don't even know what I'm capable of, right? <laughs> they don't know. I got a podcast. <laughs> and then you go home at like, you know, 1231, safe hour. Make sure you get enough sleep. Then you finish your pro, you finish your degree, you go get a job, you get, um, you jockey for the right entry-level position at some mid-level, mid-management type outfit that has a good track record and has a good portfolio. Then you go out and you find a decent girl that isn't too much drama, that doesn't, you know, you don't feel like she's going to stab you in your sleep or something, or make unfit decisions and maybe gamble away all your savings or something, and then and then you marry that person, have a couple of children, um convinced that they're special too but mm, maybe they are maybe they aren't I don't know and then you kind of guide them through life and then you mm, then you get to a point you know in late 40s early 50s you're white male you get into like World War II vintage memorabilia or stories or books or documentaries about World War II and why the you know, the Americans won because they had more fuel than the Germans or, you know, you start rounding up information like that, like some old school, you know, you start, you want to mansplain a lot of things. You want to tell your kids about, <clears throat> you know, the uh, intricacies of popcorn, right? Or where, how, where it comes from. Like, you know, talk about like, you know, before there was popcorn, did you know? Before there was styrofoam, they used popcorn for packaging, and you know, but just nonsense, just pointless, innocuous, just uh, you know, nothing with an edge, nothing with a, you know, nothing with a, a bite to it. And then uh, you start your day over. You you know, the next morning you get up at quarter to six. You know, you uh, <clears throat> rub one out in the shower because your wife hates you or something, or she just doesn't. She, mistakes you for part of the furniture like in the super tramp song and then you go about your day you get in your uh your uh japanese automa automobile your sensible and uh durable and reliable japanese vehicle that takes you to work hour and a half in traffic and then um you yuck it up with your buddy while you're over while you're listening to a podcast in your cubicle and, and dreaming that you were living their life or something. I don't know. And you get home and you have chicken and you watch Seinfeld and you go to bed, right? And that's what... But... <clears throat> so you never really... Like, you really... 
you don't really push the envelope. You don't really get to the edge of the, you, you know, you don't really test your dopamine reserves because why would you, you know, that doesn't make sense. That's, ins- you know, like, I think that, um, I, I, I'm all, I, I give, I give myself over to a lot of strange thinking because I do, I, I drive a lot and I give in to like these, these odd, these odd, um, Mm, theories and hypotheses and I think that um, on the flip side of stuff like that like the people that have just blown their dopamine boundaries out of out out of scale I think it's the same with like um, and again this is all this is all theory but I, I think alcoholics like kind of they're they're like it's the same thing. It's working on the same principle, like the same that say like a meth head, like, you, you know, like when you see somebody that you can just tell like they did meth, right. But maybe they cleaned up, maybe they're better. Maybe they're in a program. Maybe they're two years, five years, 10 years sober, but they did enough where their mouth is kind of, they got that little bit of meth mouth going. You know what I'm talking about? They're kind of, they chew a lot, but there's nothing in their mouth, right? Or, or they just have that look, like they just took a bite of a lemon, you know? And the, the top and bottom above their teeth is kind of sunken in a little bit. I think that that's like, <clears throat> they've pushed the boundaries of, I, I seem to think like, you could probably do a little bit of Coke or a little bit of meth or a little bit of Adderall, or a little bit of amphetamines, or a little bit of stuff like that, where if you were able to pull it back, rein it in, you don't, you don't really go down that hole. But if you really buy, you know, if you really buy in and really invest and become emotionally invested in meth, (laughs) or, or alcohol, you just, you break something, you break something you break the boundaries of the capacities of your, of your capacity, if that makes sense. Right. So you really, it's like eating too much, right? Like it's, you, 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 you get a, you get that big belly, right. And you, what you've done is you've, is you've stretched out the lining, your stomach lining to accommodate the amount that you've been eating. And, but, uh, if you do routinely enough, then you've you, you you've stretched that that lining that that mm, that whatever that is that that tissue to an irretrievable point right so it doesn't snap back like you know one time if you overeat one time you eat a whole pizza right but you're but typically you just kind of you, you nitpick you're like you eat like a bird but but one time you eat like a whole pizza and man, your belly is out there. You look like you, you look like the snake that swallowed the rabbit, right? But, uh, but it, but the elasticity, it's like the neuroplasticity of your brain. It's, it, it, it forms around the situation, but then it retreats back to its original form. But if you do it repeatedly, you're just going to have a big old belly, Right. Same with alcoholics. It's like that big, that big beer belly, you know? At some point in your urge, in your 
habits and routines, it's not going to snap back. It's like when you over overdo it, like when you when you just lead that kind of life, like Dan Bilzerian, where you just like everything is over the top. There's just naked women everywhere. Everything's just, all your senses are firing. All your neurons are fire. You're always you. Your neurons are always firing to a point where it de- it kind of like you build up like a tolerance. It's like people like th- you hear about those studies like uh, you know m- men specifically that are like addicted to porn that it's so pervasive, it's so overwhelming, and it's so such a big part of their lives that they can't. Uh, like when when they have to go perform, when it's time to like get down, like s- sometimes they can't because it's like you've got to ratchet it down a notch. Like you, you know, you just got done watching like uh, you know um, stepmom porn <laughs> or midget porn or whatever, and then at night, you know, your wife, your husband, your spouse, your partner wants to wants to get busy, wants to you know soak the eggplant. You, you're taking it way down a notch. You're taking it like three steps down. You're slowing it way down. And it's like, there's no there there. Because you're used to being way up here, but now you're way down here. Right? I find that fascinating. You just, you just wrecked your system. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the same, like when, you know, like alcoholics finally finally quit out drinking or when substance abusers finally I, I I don't know if I can speak I I don't I, I don't know about all of them but I think coke and like alcohol seem to be candidates for like really bringing you up 10x over your baseline dopamine but then when you bottom out, man, you're way, you're below, you're way below. Like you, you're so like unresponsive to just most stimuli that you need to do a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of speed, a little bit, a little bit of cocaine, a little bit of whatever, just to get you, just to get you back to your original baseline. That's not, that's not even talking about getting you to where you, you peaked out, where you were, if you were Dan Bilzerian riding jet skis across Lake Havasu with topless supermodels, right? And then you go home and you turn on, you know, the Playboy channel and it's just like yawn fest. It's a yawn fest. It's like, what do you, what what do you got for me now? You know, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a shirt that's stretched out that'll never, ever go back to its original form. You're done. And I think that that's what happens. I think that's what is the case with... Um, there's, this, there's this notion, I think, that... I think there's people that struggle um, with the notion that... And I can only really talk about this because my lady is going through this right now with her meetings and stuff like that. Her It's uh, her sober meetings. They're just a lot of counseling and stuff like that, but it's, um, there are people I believe with that, um, maybe it's not like most of them are, unfortunately, most of them are court ordered, but some of them are volunteer and like my lady and they've just got, I think there's some delusion to some of them that think like, well, I'm, 
you know, once I get through this program or this three months or this two weeks or this six months or whatever, however, the length of the program that they, that they'll, they'll be all right. And they'll go back to normal and they'll be like, ah, I can still, I can have a drink. I can have a, a little, a little bit of, you know, I'm fine now. I've, I've just been, I've been course corrected. I've been course corrected. I'm good now. And I'm, I might be an alcoholic, but I've also been trained to be able to handle a couple of drinks. No, I don't think so. I think particularly the people that just went hard in the paint, you know, that stretched out that shirt to beyond its original form are the ones primarily that can never just have one drink or one little something because it wants to kind of it wants to get back out to it wants to claw its way back up to that original form that that original heightened sense of whatever that is that that dopamine high but you're not but you're 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 unfortunately you're way down there like it's got to be depressing you know like you you could ruin you ruined yourself um but again, that's just a theory. What do I know? What the hell do I know? I've been reading... Um, so I've been reading um, this book, The Song Lines, this Bruce Chatwin book. And um, I think... Let's see. I don't know if it was... I was reading um, his Wikipedia, which... Eh. It is what it is. Uh... It was either the, it was either the Wikipedia or it was the book itself, but it it made a an interesting kind of correlation between the words travail, as in they travailed the course, right, to the word travel to work. So. So in essence, okay, what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is that, um, that basically Bruce Chatwin, so basically Bruce Chatwin, he was, uh, this, he was an art, he was like an art or a museum kind of, uh, not a curator, but like he was into like archeology span and he got a job, um, looking at, uh, old art, like, uh, ancestral art, uh, but the word okay so the french word for work is travailler so they i think if if it was in the book i think it was in the book or in in pertaining to bruce chatwin anyway it um of course made the it made the it, it translated travail to is so close to the word travel but travail from the french word travailler means to work so travel in essence is 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 him working so he basically got credit for um after um working for years in a a museum he uh, i think it was a museum he he was losing uh, his his eyesight because he was looking at these real fine uh portraits, paintings, kind of uh, 
mm, artifacts, things like that. He could, he could tell like what, you know, he could tell a fraud. He could tell like a painting that's been, um, forged and, uh, but it, it worked his eyesight over. And so I guess the, uh, the doctor or, uh, whoever he saw about this said, you know, you should try long horizons, <laughs> which, uh, if there's anything Australia has, it's long horizons, long flat horizons. So, so homeboy went out to Alice Springs, um, to do well, to study the, uh, Aboriginal kind of the nomadic ways of the Aboriginals. And, uh, in so doing discovered these, uh, they're called dreaming tracks or the song lines, meaning that, um, there's these mystical paths that are forged through the deserts of Australia, which is, well, all of Australia in essence. And, uh, they, they, they're called dreaming tracks and what they are, or they're representative of a, usually an animal, uh, some sort of, um, some sort of indigenous animal that had created the song for that track. And I'm probably fucking this up a little bit, but basically, um, he ran into a guy out there, a Russian guy. Uh, he was born in Australia, but, uh, but he's, his parents were, um, were Russian and, uh, but he, his job was to work with the railways because they're going to put new railways that going uh, north up into the Northern Territory, up into Darwin. And he had to kind of map out, this Russian guy had to map out where they would overlap and overrun these sacred tracks that the Aboriginals had in what they were referring to as the song lines, their dreaming. So in each, tr- in each track represented like an, uh, an emu, or a wallaby, or a kangaroo, or honey ants, or whatever your dreaming was, and then, um, but only the Aboriginals knew. You know, it's, it's it was kind of interesting, kind of fascinating. So Bruce Chowan, being the I don't know, he was just fixated on these nomads, and so he went out to uh, kind of the dead center of Australia, this little town called Alice Springs, which is very much there. And it, it's the geographic center of the country, but it's also this um, real holy spot. Uh, that rock, that big giant rock that is pretty representative of, you know, anytime you see like art, you know, or, or landscapes, Australian landsca- landscapes, there's, a, there's that big rock, it's called Ayers Rock. Uh, the, the Aboriginals refer to it as Uluru, and it's a sacred thing like you can't climb on it um you'll get they'll fuck you up if uh yeah that's the other thing is the aboriginals will fuck you up if um you start kind of messing around with with their you know their heritage and their uh kind of their ancestral derivations so and and they're wild it's they're weird um they're an interesting people because they 
they seemingly kind of stay. They kind of didn't didn't really kind of evolve enough to where they assimilated into the white man's culture. So there's a few of them. Like, mm, I mean, the tennis great Yvonne Gulagong. She's a she's Austra- or she's a Aboriginal. So there's a ha- you know there's a, a few examples, few uh, exceptions, but by and large they're like they're very uh, mystical, spiritual, funky people. When like for example, like when they get locked up, when they get incarcerated, like they don't understand like it's typically temporary, and so they end up they feel like their their mind is basically told them that they're going to be there for the duration. Like, like this is it. This is the end of the line. And then they end up expiring. They either kill themselves or they just kind of, kind of wilt into this, uh, kind of this heap of resignation. But, um, but anyway, so yeah, Bruce Chatwin went out to talk to these people. And, but I thought it was interesting that the, the notion that, um, travel can be work, uh, is in fact, that is, that's, that's a great, I never, you know, it just, it blew my mind when I came across that because it always like, like, I mean, I've taken French in high school, some in college. Uh, I mean, that's one of the easier translations, the word travailler, but it never, I never, I never made that connection to to it being travel and then travel being work but that's in essence what it like like that's what it like when you go like whatever example you want to use like whether you're uh, taking a gap year whether you're backpacking whether you're hiking whether you're doing the hostel route you know you're checking into you know these low cost hostels where uh most of them are comprised of, you know, a group of Germans that are playing like uh, industrial music, like, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Or, um, or if you're just trying to get, you know, you're just trying to see as many countries as you can on a Eurail pass. It's work. And, uh, so I, I, it, it is what it is. It basically, is what it is like uh you the point is i guess is if you think that by going somewhere to get away in an effort to uh travel or vacation or go on holiday like it's uh it's secretly subconsciously helping you uh like why do you want to be comfortable all the time you know what i mean like you don't want to i think the setback is and this this now this is this is where i'm relating everything back to like the dopaminergic uh setbacks dan bilzerian and depression and uh if you haven't changed if you're not changing yet then you know when am i going to change and 
you know, the pursuit of happiness and the happiness of pursuit, according to Dr. Robert Sapolsky of Stanford. And, um, the point is like, if you're always kind of comfortable and if you're always kind of like, everything's coming up roses and there's no resistance and there's no adversity, like, do you even know you're alive? Like, I believe there's even studies that, that indicate that if you're, if you're always satisfied, if you're always, uh, if you're always in the, if you're always in the throes of enjoyment of, of, of complete and utter entertainment 24 seven and everything you want, you know, is just right at your disposal. There's no, mm, discipline involved there's no uh sacrifice involved then then uh yeah you're gonna lose out on a lot of shit you know you're gonna be you're gonna be depressed all the time i guess long story short what i'm trying to say is like dealing with like what i'm like i'm trying to push through uh not burnout but like <clears throat> like I'm finding, I'm trying to find that uh, there's like a there's like a there's like a thin line between like wanting to, like craving something and and suffering through something, and what I mean by that is like. I was telling, uh, I was telling my lady this the other day. I was like, she loves her job, and it's exciting to go to her job, as opposed to like waking up and dreading going to work. So that there's there's a there's a there's a there's an in between point somewhere, right? Same with like going to the gym. Like I'm tr- like to expand to like evolve and get better and hike further or run farther or faster or harder or lift more or perform better takes small increments of, uh, it takes like pushing yourself a little, a little bit, just enough to want a little more next time without, you know, leave yourself a little something wanting something you know like if you just leave it out i mean i don't know like i love goggins man that guy's a fucking beast that guy's a fucking savage you know he just chews his way through the drywall just goes right through but i doubt i doubt that he has that intensity every time he goes out you couldn't how could you you'd be burnt you'd be spent you know i don't know if that plays into the the dopamine theory but at some point see when you get up in in the morning like I like to look for I like to look forward to it to go and and crave and crave in the gym so there's that fine line you're trying to skirt that fine line there you know you want to you want leave them wanting more right leave yourself wanting more leave them wanting more the whole the whole cliched adage and uh, and then and then push it a little, then 
then back off, then push a little more, then back off. Like, I don't know how these runners do it. Like, go from, like, the NCAAs in cross-country November to busting out, like, a, you know, an indoor 5,000-meter NCAA record to go into the NCAA uh, indoor national, which is, like, I think March 8th or something. Is that right? I think so. Uh, I made a note of it somewhere. Somewhere. Uh, yeah, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, March 8th and 9th uh, in Boston. And then, um, and then go into the outdoor season and still be like on top of your, like all year. Like, honestly, like it, it, I know there's a point when you're like a high profile athlete, like a professional athlete, like a sponsored athlete, somebody that's signed on with a, a company, a sponsor, New Balance, Nike, uh, whoever, Adidas, Puma, I don't know. That, man, it's just like you gotta be, you have to show up now every time. Like, it kind of steals a little bit of the joy from doing it like when you were young you you dreamed of being like a paid athlete doing what you love playing football doing what you love playing basketball full-time getting paid for it fucking dream that's a fucking dream but i think it becomes a job and i think it brings your dopamine baseline down below because you're just working now for a paycheck you're not working for the joy of it and it's i don't know like like, you have to be up. You have to be up for it now. You have to get your shit together. You got to get out of bed. You got to... Like, you, there's no choice now, you know? It's like going to that job at that cubicle. Listen to that boring-ass podcast that you talk about with your buddy in the next cubicle. Some bullshit, you know? But right before the copier stops working again for the 18th time this week and it's fucking driving you crazy and I got a two-hour commute home and ah shit there's a fucking accident so now my commute's two and a half hours and this is bullshit man I can't believe I'm doing this I'm wasting I'm just sitting here with nothing I'm doing nothing for two hours I'm wasting I'm not optimizing my life this is bullshit I need to be out I need to be out hiking I need to be I need to go to a nomadic community in a, in a desert country and I need to get, get away from myself and I need to be able to kind of carry on all my possessions in a bag. You know, you got to be ready for when the shit goes down. You know what I'm saying? You got to be ready. You got to be prepared. You know, you got to have fucking, you got to have your, your fucking tax returns, your bank account information, a couple of fucking cliff bars, an iPad, a phone, couple of knives, one of those Leathermen, a couple of books, and a uh, change of socks, change of undies, you know, in case you shit yourself. You got to be on the go. You got to be ready to roll, you know? That's kind of what gets me excited, whether or not I'm going to do it or not. I got a, a bag I'm looking at right here. Anything, whenever the shit goes down, I'm ready. <laughs> the fuck is this, what the fuck is this podcast even about, man? going on anyway that's all i got for you today hope your uh your week's going well i love you all kind of i don't really know all of you that well 
but I'll probably like you. All right. And on that note, I'll talk at you later. Arrivederci, baby.